to Hashtag Travel Talks. It's your podcast on the latest digital trends in travel and tourism marketing. And here's your host, Nolly Nicholas. So welcome to an episode of Travelcast. And today I have a great pleasure to receive Gordon Ryan. So welcome, Doc Gordon. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. So can you tell us, can you present yourself, please? Okay, we're um, based in Oslo. Uh, we're an experienced design studio. Um, we've been around for about 20 years. I've been here for the last six years uh, as designer first, but now I run the company as managing director. Um, I, I think we're a mix. I mean, we're a mix of architects, graphic designers, uh, story writers, and technologists. And we create experience. And for us, it has to be experience that matters, something that adds value to society. Um, so we design, we design museums, um, experience centers. Uh, we sometimes design educational venues, science centers, etc. Okay. So I contact you because you are going to do a presentation on the topic <clears throat> of Location-based content. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I, I was looking on my notes. So, yes, can you tell us more about how this is important, especially in travel? Okay. Well, um, yeah, it's interesting because we we were involved recently in the uh, conference on travel and uh, new possibilities in in digital travel um, and digital support of travel experiences. What we do and work with in museums or science centers or even shops touches um, all sectors in terms of its possibilities. Um, and so uh, location-based content, um, location-driven content is just something that's emerging all over the place from uh, a poster at the subway station responding to your needs to shop windows altering to focus on your wants. Um, or maybe they're even creating your wants. But in the museum sector, it would be going around and receiving content in the rhythm that you prefer, in the language that you prefer, and even the layer of expertise that you prefer. And this has a strong impact and opens up huge potential in the tourism industry for visiting a city and understanding the city in the language you prefer in, the, in according to your specific interests. So if you like architecture or if you like handcraft, you get a dis different experience of the city and you want a different experience of the city. So um, that's the that's the basis of uh, our interest and our involvement in, in the conference. Um, but also it's... Uh, It's what we're working at now um, uh, with with our clients, and we're just seeing huge possibility. Okay. And so, can you tell us why it's important to create this kind of digital experience? I think it's just um, it's following a trend and following um, the end user's appetite for controlling information. And uh, I like to think about. Um, people's habits of how we approach the internet is strongly guided by um, our need to control our information. We are losing patience for reading text that is irrelevant to ourselves. We're losing patience for even reading a web page that was a, a wrong search. We want to know exactly what we want to know, exactly when we want to know it. And so um, the days of long labels in museums, for example, are well gone, or long labels in any public building. Um, we, we only have an appetite for reading 45 words. Uh, we want to read it quick and we want it to be relevant. So um, 
it follows that um, when people are listening to a podcast around the city or even listening to a, a vocal city guide, they want the guide to be speaking in their tone, speaking to them um, and their interests. So depending on whether they're 19 years old or 45 years old or seven or, or, or 12 years old, um, they really want uh, the tone, the content and the narrative to, to meet their needs. Can I just uh, draw a parallel? We, we've gone from sitting and watching television together as families to families that are split between screens and the eight-year-olds are watching a YouTube of their favorite characters. The 12, 13, 14-year-olds are watching a YouTube of their favorite gamer and the adults are watching a Netflix movie. Uh, we don't even sit down and watch the same content together. And in a way, um, that is mirrored in, in how we engage with cities. We, we don't expect to get the same experience of a city together, even as a family. So you are explaining that, for example, for visiting a city like Paris, you not just have to count on, would say, social media or visual, but also you have to take into account every media or channels. Absolutely. Uh, we... We have a habit of uh, traveling and maybe we listen to uh, a travel podcast before we go. We certainly ch check out TripAdvisor or we might just uh, have a look at Facebook and ask our recent friends who've been there what they liked about Paris. Um, and we have new ways of, of understanding um, uh, a city even before we arrive there. But Then we're taking on, on recommendations. We, we, maybe we book a place in Airbnb because a friend recommended it, but the Airbnb website itself knows our profile and starts recommending places in the neighborhood to check out. Um, and we use our technology um, as a way to lay out the paths for us. And so um, if I wanted to go and see Paris and I had a particular interest in architecture, I might listen to a podcast on Parisian architecture before I go there. But if there was a location-based content app, um, for example, a travel app, a Visit Paris app that I download because it helps me understand the subway system, it helps me understand what buses are available and all the different quarters of Paris, but it also gives me a choice of listening to audio content on on various areas of Paris relating to architecture, I'm already feeling really happy about my visit to Paris because I can just go around Paris and take the architectural information out of the big sea of information available and uh, really enjoy my trip. But also you have all the information in one place. You don't have to, for example, if I want to know what is the, the theater or the movie concert, I don't have to check on the website or on Google to see where and when there is the next concert, which is interesting for me. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's just, um, we're so spoiled with technology and um, we're, we're reaching the point where if I download an app to um, find out when the next subway is coming, if that app is not also able to sell me a ticket for the subway, I'm already frustrated. I have to download another app that allows me to buy a ticket. Um, and we are spoiled like that in, in as travelers and as, as individuals walking around the city. Um, I, I recently experienced that myself going to Copenhagen, where I, I really struggled to find an app that allowed me to do everything I wanted to do with the public transport system. Um, but 
back to travel and how that uh, how that works out. Yeah, the less we have to dig, the nicer it is. If you go into an event website, um, you want to be able to buy the ticket. You don't necessarily want to be linked to another ticket handling website um, once you've decided to see a concert or once you've decided to go into a museum. Um, and likewise, if we want to check out a museum online, we don't really like being popped over to another website to, to buy a ticket or to find out opening times. We like all the information to be in one place. Um, and so that's an appetite and, and maybe a, a growing lack of patience in, in visitors. <laughs> Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Also, yesterday I was talking with another guest about the app and especially the application uh, WeChat. I, I don't know if you know it. It's a Chinese application. WeChat? Yes. Uh, no, I don't know it. What does it do? But it's an application in which you can do almost everything. For example, you can pay your phone bill, you can pay... Uh, a street artist with your phone, and you also can book any event with your phone. So, so I asked him why in Western countries we don't have this kind of, I would say, multifunction app. So I don't know because it's too advanced for us, or we don't have the, we are lost on the sea of the Google and so on Facebook app. Well, we have it here in Norway. We, we have an app. And I've just gone interrailing with my family, actually, for the whole uh, for the whole summer. And we went down uh, across Germany, uh, Hungary, Croatia. Uh, we're going to different cities nearly every day um, on the interrail trip with our three children. And um, we were just so happy to get home to our to our apps up here in Oslo um, that simplify things a lot. We have a, an app called Vips that allows you to pay. Um, if you sit with your friends at a restaurant, it calculates how to share the bill and allows everyone to pay by the app. Or you can pay, you can give money to anybody who has a, a telephone. Um, but also you pay for your public transport via VIPs, you pay for your electricity bills, you pay everything uh, via the app. And in fact, we're a cash-free society helped very much by this app called VIPs. So um, I think it'll come everywhere. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's without a doubt. Um, and the days of cash are really numbered, uh, certainly in Europe. But um, back, yeah, yeah uh, we want one app to do everything. You're right. Yeah, because uh, for example, in Sutton, we have a specific app if we want if you want to pay at the shop or the restaurant. But you have another app if you want to talk with your friend, and you have another app also if you have to pay your bills. So you are lost in a sea of apps. <laughs> mm -hmm. But to pu pull it back to um, the, the, I mean, we're talking a lot about people's appetite. And so it, it's kind of easy to see that people's appetite uh, is shifting. And it's not shifting. It's always been one of, um, everyone's looking for quality and simplicity. And um, with so many apps in existence, um, we see that when you arrive at a city and you want to download an app called Visit Paris or, um, or any Paris, uh, Paris experience app, um, we want it to be able to do everything. We want to book our, our concert tickets, our museum tickets. We don't want to be downloading six apps. Um, people's ha 
appetite for deleting apps is also getting better. So we get better and better at cleaning up our phones, um, which used to be a barrier. But the ideal is to have it all in one app. But if you don't have that, you certainly want the app that gives you everything you want from it and, and leaves you satisfied uh, for having downloaded it. And there's another thing, which is we've, we've moved away from uh, hearing on the radio whatever comes at whatever time to really using podcasts to hear exactly what, what we want to hear, exactly when we want to hear it. And that is, uh, that's a critical feature. And that's, that's why we're interested in these location-based content possibilities for visiting a city. Um, where you are in the city, um, if that can trigger information towards you, um, when you're standing on the place, uh, that can be a really enhanced uh, experience of the city. And so if you have an app open that gives you a ping, a little buzz in your pocket, and then you look at it, and you maybe have earphones on, and you're standing outside a particularly beautiful building, the app might say, do you want to know about the building you're standing beside? And if you say yes, then you get an audio track of a fantastic voice just telling a story, a compelling story about that building. Um, and it really enhances your experience of being there. Um, you might not want to hear from that app again for the next 20 minutes, maybe three hours. But if you had such an app that just would ping in your pocket when you arrive at something particularly interesting for your age group and your, your inputted interest, your profile, well, then that's really fantastic. That meets people's um, appetite um, for learning about a city. So, for example, if you visit Paris, before that I come to Paris, I can enter some preference, like uh, I prefer historical buildings and uh, specific museum. And when I am walking through Paris and I stop near a historical building, the app is pinging and saying that, you do you want to hear the story of that building? Yes or no? And also, it's in other words, it's you who decide who, when you need the information. Exactly. Exactly. And that would just be so cool because you can be a seven-year-old and you're just interested in playgrounds and nice places to hide or climb. And literally, the, the same app would be able to deliver fun experiences and little challenges, little detective hunts around the city. And really, just like a family walking around where the children are playing Pokemon Go and having a parallel experience of the city, maybe this app is actually giving them really fun things to find out about Paris while their parents are actually finding out about historical architecture. Yeah, also they, they are outside, also not inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone's outside, everyone's just enjoying, uh, yeah. Um, what happens inside is also possible because um, we are experiencing new opportunities in museum and experience center and science centers to be um, pitching content uh, at different uh, profiles. And so we're using the apps in, in a science center here in Oslo where depending on your level of expertise, scientific expertise or your age group relating to the school curriculum, you can use an app to experience a science center in a parallel level. Okay. The next question is how to design those digital experiences? That is a good question because I suppose the, uh, the, the quality of the digital experience, um, you want the, it, it relies heavily on a, stability, a stable system. Uh, so once the, the system is stable and the user interface is 
smooth uh, and intuitive. The next ingredient is a compelling story. And no matter how good the app is, if the story doesn't work, it, it's just not going to work as an experience for the public. So um, I suppose then it becomes like a, like a radio show. Uh, we've got the radio, we have the, we have the airwaves and people are receiving. Now, what are you going to say? Uh, like this podcast, what are you saying? Um, that, that's story writing, that's narrative. And uh, if it's good it's, and it can be great, then uh, it's going to catch on and people are going to be so interested to experience it. So it comes down to the quality of story writing. Um, and so for a city like Paris, you might ha have to think and study the, the, the target audiences and go, well, what are we promising with this app? And we've covered an easy one there, which is classical architecture of, of Paris. Um, but what does a 20-year-old want to find out who's interested in uh, live music or, or uh, street art? Um, we need compelling stories about the city who, who, that, that, that will immediately be catchy, but also um, have a, a developmental uh, feature to them that actually pull you along on a journey that's not just, oh, here's an interesting thing, and here's another interesting thing, and here's another interesting thing unlinked, uh, interesting things. We, we need a whole promise. And so if you're, uh, if you're dealing with Paris, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm just thinking you might just say backstreet, backstreet secrets, uh, of Paris. And, and that's your, that's your catchy tagline. Um, and it would be cool if the backstreet secrets of Paris was mapped with the backstreet secrets of Prague and, and people start getting used to what they receive in, in, uh, in such a, a, a city offering. But we start, um, I suppose it becomes, we, organizations have their own way of doing this. It could start with the communications department of, uh, of an organization. Um, it could start with a communications consultant. Um, we offer that kind of consultancy here because that's what we do for museums anyway. We, we have to work with our clients to develop a compelling narrative. Um, and so developing a compelling narrative starts with a tagline, uh, a, a promise uh, to the customers. What are you, what are you offering here? Um, can, I, can I give you a little example of that? Uh, yes. We're doing... Um, we're designing a museum uh, experience at the moment around Edvard Munch, the artist, uh, uh, for a new museum that's be being built here in Oslo. And our mission was to tell people more about his life. Um, but that's not very catchy. Uh, come here and we'll tell you more about his life. Um, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were just like, um, what bit of his life? Do we want to talk about his art techniques? Or do we want to talk about his social contemporaries and the atmosphere uh, that he lived in? Or do we want to talk about his, uh, his motifs and what he preferred to paint and what his psychological interests were uh, at the time? And ultimately, we asked the question, why would people want to learn more about the artist? Um, do they want to learn more so that maybe they're inspired to go and research more? Or do they want to learn more so they can understand his art a little bit better? Um, and why would they understand his art a little bit better? Maybe it would lead to an appreciation of the art, uh, a real appreciation and pride in his work. Um, 
And so ultimately we said, why are people going to come up to the seventh floor of this beautiful new museum? Um, and we're going to promise them, this is our promise, we're going to promise them that by coming up there, they'll be stepping closer to Monk. And that sounds like such a simple thing, but stepping closer to Monk, getting closer to the artist at work, not the works of art. Mm -hmm. So really feeling close to him. So that becomes our whole driving concept for the Monk, Muse the Monk Museum um, documentary exhibition. If you're not leaving there feeling emotionally closer to Monk, we have failed our work. Um, but also, everybody coming in the door can now understand what they're expecting from upstairs. They're going to go upstairs and, and step closer to Monk as a man. Uh, um, and I think, uh, I think that's a little bit more compelling. It's just such a subtle difference, but it, it takes a while to get to that clarity of promise for the, for the public. Um, so we start there with a, with a promise and then we go into key experiences key moments within that, that would help us uh, get closer to Munch. Um, and we start to describe the physical environment that that experience takes place in. Um, and we, we, we start imagining uh, and empathizing with the visitor. Uh, so uh, the key moments start to illustrate chapters of his life or aspects of it. Um, we're going for aspects. So we're going for um, his insecurities as a person. Uh, his social habits uh, as a person, um, his creativity is another area of his work. Um, his pets and his house is another area of coming to understand him. And so we, um, by looking at, and romance is another aspect of his life. So by looking at romance, habits, uh, insecurities, we really are stepping closer to the man. Um, rather than going in date order, he studied then and then he lived there and then he met. The, uh, rather than the chron chronological story, we're going deep into emotional and private aspects of, uh, of the artist's life. Um, those are our key themes and they can be associated with key moments. Um, so if you go zoom out and go into a city and now you talk about backstreet secrets of Paris, we have to get some compelling moments in there. Um, what, what does it mean to create an experience around backstreet secrets uh, of Paris? Um, uh, for, do you have any idea? <laughs> for example, you can take the famous National Day in Paris, which is July the 14th. Mm -hmm. And you can have some kind of um, culture hunt on which you go through the day of the fall of the Bastille and you can, I don't know, hear the voice of the people or if you are in a sp specific place, you can hear the someone telling a discourse about liberty and so on. You can I think there's a lot of possibilities in Paris. That would sound great. That would be great. Uh, reliving the 14th of July uh, would be, that would be great. So, so you, you'd need it to link up with your map, with your Google Maps, and, and you could see hotspots and kind of check in on it now and then go, oh, guys, if we just walk two more blocks this way, there's another, there's another experience related to reliving 14th of July. Especially so people can go to places are, which are not crowded, for example, the Louvre, yeah. because the highlights in Paris, but some people can go in, as you say, in back street, or oh, there's few tourists. Yeah, that would be amazing. And those are the things that maybe 
Otherwise, you'd have to rely on knowing somebody in Paris who can show you those. Um, and really, uh, maybe maybe uh, the beauty of the technology as well is that these things are easily um, updated and flexible. So if it was an app on street art and a new piece appeared, well, it's not such a big deal to add a new point in the app. Um, you're not having to go out and hang up a new physical sign. Um, yeah. And so... It's super flexible. And likewise, if a, if a piece disappears, well, it's easy to remove it from the app. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think you've got it. Um, the, the key moments would be, the key moments of the 14th of July, are, are they're the rocks that you have to place first. There's other, I would say, historical dates in Paris. So it's not only the the national day, but there is also when the very fall to the German for during the forties. Also, there can have some witnesses of people talking about what they feel when the German enter into Paris. Also, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's you can have a you can have um a Jim Morrison's Paris yeah, tour also and. Um, touch in and cool venues and places where the band uh, would have hung out or where Jim would have hung out. Obviously you end up at his grave, but there are so many people who would, would love uh, a Jim Morrison's Paris um, app that would just walk them around. And you can see that that you can see already uh, that that would in a visit Paris Oslo, <laughs> if you visit Paris, um, if you then had an index, like you have an index of podcasts of of this uh, revisit 14th of July, Jim Morrison's uh, Paris architecture classical, architecture contemporary, you that's now you're in the 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 mood and the mode that that the modern public are in, where they are in control of what they're listening to, they're in full control, and now we're 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 in their mind. Yeah, yeah also it's a mean for. The cities to make some marketing, pre-marketing, because people are going to on Spotify or SoundCloud to listen the sound, and I say, oh, hmm, interesting. Maybe I, I can go visit this hallway or this street in Paris because I never heard of it anywhere else. So it's another mean for marketing the, the cities. Exactly. The <laughs> Paris, the places you never saw, and you learn about all the Michelin star restaurants in the city and and their history and who made them and, and what the journey was, and uh, it, the the possibilities are endless. Yeah, but can I say uh, one thing that's happened uh, in parallel is that the technology is allowing this, mm -hmm. and so now various people are developing apps uh, that that can do this, and the apps are triggered either by Beacon. And that uses the Bluetooth uh, of phones mm -hmm. or it's GPS triggered. Um, so in very dense built up city areas for accuracy, you can use beacons and they can, they can exist outdoors, but GPS is, is a fantastic way of, uh, of, um, placing these, these little, um, Easter eggs around the city. So Gordon, thank you for your insightful information. <laughs> now my, would say last and personal question is what was your most memorable travel that you did? Most memorable travel? Wow. Um, That's hard. <laughs> I, most memorable is the most recent. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. I guess. 
I've just been down to Split in in Croatia, uh, amongst other cities, um, and uh, I'm going to talk about the most recent because I, I guess I had a, an experience in Split that uh, Split is like a labyrinth. It, 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 it's an old it's an old Roman city that has that has changed hands so many times uh, over the last few hundred years, um, and it's it's a labyrinth. And I walked through that labyrinth with my children chasing Pokemons. Um, but for me, I was just letting them be the guides. And that was really quite an interesting experience, just going through all these random streets um, without any particular uh, aim or, or need, but just taking in the smells and the, the brickwork and the beauty of, of the constructions uh, and these impossibly thin streets. And that was very exciting for me. Um, but uh, memorable. I mean, I just loved being on the train. We were on the train for days upon days with our family. And I haven't done that since I interrailed and I was 16 years old. And I'd forgotten what it was like just to sit and see the culture that happens between the capitals. Um, I was inspired by a friend who's a travel writer and he just said culture is what's happening between the capitals. Um, and I was very conscious of his writing when I was going through the through the countrysides and the mountains and rivers, and traveling by train. Um, done just this last summer with my family was was my was a really wonderful memory. Okay, so thank you. So now, uh, before we leave, can you tell us how can I reach you on the internet? Expology is where we are um, Expology and we're based in Norway we have an office in, in uh, Sweden also um, but uh, it's expology.com and uh, we'd be delighted to hear from you or anyone okay so thank you Gordon thank you for your time thank you it's such a pleasure yeah, you're um, welcome I wish you all the best for your company thank you thank you